Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and you have tuned into another unique episode of Before and After, where a very expecting mom shares her plans for her upcoming birth while she's pregnant and then comes back after her baby arrives to share how the experience was and what we and she may learn from it. Our co-host today is Angelica Ortiz. She is the contributing and managing editor and, what are you, social media queen at Informed Pregnancy. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, chiropractor, almost, doula, Six brand months. new doula. Mm-hmm. What don't you do? Sleep. And windows. <laughs> Today's guest is Marissa. She's currently 35 weeks pregnant and has been working on a very interesting birth plan that she'll share with us shortly. And she's also an eco-friendly florist and does eco-friendly florism. That's the <laughs> thing I made up. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to know more about eco-friendly florism because yeah. I didn't even know there was a thing. Right. You know, everybody looks at a flower and thinks, oh, my gosh, that's so beautiful. It's probably good for the earth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but in truth, 80 percent of flowers in the United States that are cut flowers, what you buy at the grocery store, your local florist, they're imported, which brings with it some some troubling Bugs. Bugs. Yeah. Some troubling problems. Not necessarily insects. Um, it kills them. <laughs> oh. It kills the but, insects? Well, it can. So what happens is you've got this issue of of the unregulated pesticide use in certain countries where it's not like we're really good at that here in the United States, but it can be worse in other countries. Right. You have the fair trade issue where it could be poor working conditions or even child slave labor. And then you also have the carbon footprint of bringing it all the way from New Zealand and Japan and Mexico and Ecuador, all these places, not to mention the fact that once it crosses the border, it has to be fumigated again. So you get a lot of toxins on those plants. But they're so pretty. They are so pretty. <laughs> and we always smell them. That's the worst part. Right. Yeah. 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 Let me just right. inhale all these Yum. yummy chemicals. Yeah. yeah, right. And I mean, I work a lot with brides. So imagine a bride standing at the end of her aisle about to make this great, big, huge commitment, this beautiful mo movement of, of love. And in her hands are this, like icky, toxic. It's just seeping into her. It just, oh, it creeps me out so bad. So, <laughs> so I drew a line in the sand when I started my business that I was only going to use flowers that are U.S. grown because at least we can rely on those regulations and on the regulations of the workforce mm -hmm. and that it really limits the carbon footprint on how far those flowers are coming to get to me. Um, it mm. makes it so that my flowers are seasonal. Um, I cannot give you a peony in December. Um, it, Darn it. Yeah, I know, you know, <laughs> but brides have been, they've grown accustomed to be able to get whatever flower they want almost any time of year um, because of this worldwide network of flower growers. But we also, it has done almost a detriment to the flower farmers of America because you know, they live here and they've been sort of outsourced. And so this whole movement started up in Washington, uh, Washington State, and it's kind of trickling down. It's really big in Oregon and it's also fairly big in the Bay Area, though down here in Southern California, there aren't very many florists like me mm -hmm. where we just say no. And yeah. this is how these are the flowers we can use. I can make something beautiful any season. Um, it just isn't going to be any specific flower unless you know that you love a certain flower, and you book your wedding during right. those months. What month do I have to get married for a peony? <laughs> um, I'm just curious. I'm, yeah, hey. So if we it's renew a, our vows. Yeah, it's a spring flower. So, you know, 
starting in April, I can bring them in from Alaska or Minnesota as late as July, but I'd prefer not to. So, you know, as far as, as the West Coast goes, it, it really is over June 1st. That's interesting. Do you have, like, uh, materials that you give out to your clients, or do you have a thing on your website, like which flowers are available and what seasons? I should and... create something a little bit more detailed. A lot of times I'm not getting brides that are seeking me out because of my eco-friendly nature. Mm-hmm. They just don't really know. I mean, there's so much about weddings that people don't know because they only get married once, hopefully. And, <laughs> and you know, so so this information isn't really passed around. And so when they say, hey, I like your work. Hey, can you come do my flowers? I have to kind of educate them. It's a big, pro- it's a big yeah. process. Um, but it's getting better. Yeah. I'm actually starting to see planners and coordinators kind of start becoming aware and they're sending me business specifically because they want the way I do business. Eco-friendly florism. I had no clue that even existed. You're right. Yeah. Okay, just a quick question. It's a good thing you listen to the podcast, Angelica. Yes, exactly. Um, So is that a reason why some flowers like last longer than others? Because I've noticed like when I like get flowers from different places, some of them last like two weeks and then others last like three days. Well, each flower is different in and of itself. So for example, a dahlia um, really only has a five-day vase life. So mm-hmm. you cut it, you put it in the water. It's got five days. That yeah. clock is ticking. A camellia has 24 hours. Oh. So <laughs> so each flower is very different. Wow. Okay. And then, but I do think there are chemicals I've heard that are used by some florists that they even spray on after they've made an arrangement that makes the flower last even longer. And I, I just, I don't even know what that is. I can't even look at that. My, yeah. my, and, and, well, now obviously we can't go to the supermarket and get flowers anymore. My son loves to get those packets of food, and he's convinced the more he puts in, the longer they're going to live. It may so be he true. Cuts it's a them little open, bit true. and he just like. I've even heard remedies of like putting an aspirin in there. It's the same. Like you're yeah. just limiting the bacteria. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. so um, the big culprit that what gets flowers to wilt is is bacteria growth, and mm. so if you can some I, some florists even I sometimes put a little bleach in my mm. water. Um, but another thing I don't do is use green flower foam. Um, mm. I don't know if you know what that looks like, if you've ever taken an arrangement apart and you see this green foam. Yeah, yeah actually. Um, it is really, really toxic. Oh, so we it's, shouldn't be playing with you it. You shouldn't it's touch fun to it with, with your yeah, bare it's oh. like Don't mold. touch it. No, <laughs> don't touch it with your bare fingers. Don't let the kids Stop put it in their mouth. <laughs> no, please don't. Don't, no, don't wow. put it in but your it's mouth. Green. It's cringing. It must be healthy. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it doesn't biodegrade either. So yeah. <laughs> it's going to be around for a long time putting chemicals in the landfills. Thank you. That's really cool. I had no idea. And yeah. you're so passionate about it. Mm. Yeah, it's just, it just. I'm a mom. I'm into health. Like, if I'm going to do flowers, like this is how it needs to be. And and I'm kind of unapologetic about it. And yet, I totally understand when a bride says to me, like, "Hey, but I've always dreamed of having, you know, an anemone, and my wedding's in August. I'm going to go with someone else. I get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> how? I mean, how would she have known? Right. She picked her date. That usually comes first. Then the dress comes. Then the florist. So usually, you know, we're coming in at a different time and there's not a lot of education out there about this topic. And so now we're going to have to find eco-friendly bands (laughs) for the music. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for sharing about that. I didn't know. Um, You are currently pregnant, 35 weeks pregnant with your second. Yes. Uh, How old is your first? First is three and a quarter. Okay. So like four years ago, you were pregnant. Yes. And um, how was your pregnancy, your first pregnancy? The pregnancy itself was physically fairly easy, though emotionally it was a pretty rocky journey. Um, 
Well, physically, you're pretty tough. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're strong. You're kind of an athlete. Yeah, I was. I was. I semifinaled at the Olympic trials as a 17 year old in swimming. So oh. kind of an athlete. Kind of an athlete. <laughs> well, she semifinaled. Uh, yeah, um, I didn't make the team. <laughs> um, so compared to me, she's not. You know. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> Olympian, Mr. Yeah. I, I don't even have the endurance to watch the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Olympics, that's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... But so, you're, you're, a, you're a swimmer. Yeah, so I'm a swimmer. And, and, you know, all the accolades aside, what that means about me personally is that I'm really in tune with my body. It's like my vehicle. It's my Ferrari. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also am really coachable. So if I'm, mm. you know, if I'm doing training for all year when you're a swimmer you only really have two big meets a year and the rest of the time you're practicing six months of practice one really big meet and mm. like that's not so different from pregnancy it's nine months of practice and one big meet one big that's meet. a great yeah. analogy i you know? actually really like that yeah that well, that's really, really cool. how i felt about it and you yeah. are very you are very coachable in that way like with direction you can you can take it really well yeah it's you know it, you kind of have to. <laughs> if you're, you've got swim coaches yelling at you on the sidelines or teaching you how to do it or do it better. And, you know, if you can shave a half second off of an event because you shift, you shift your arm just a little bit different, that makes a big, big difference. Before he moves on to the next round. Right. Yeah. Right. My body's like a minivan. <laughs> it's a whole separate thing. It doesn't have very sharp <laughs> handling. It's not the sleekest. Um, but back to you. So... You said your pregnancy was physically comfortable yeah. for you, which th- a lot of people don't have that enjoyment. I mean, well, th- limits to that, right? But I didn't have morning sickness very bad. I didn't have a lot of the typical pregnancy symptoms. I had some pain in my lower back and some pubic symphysis, but really, like, physically, I was go, go, going the whole time. Why was it emotionally difficult? Um, I just don't fit the system very well. How do you mean? I mean, well... For stars, my provider was a hospital group that does this really big divorce between prenatal and labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. So you get a practitioner who does your prenatals, and then you have labor and delivery with whoever's on call. And that's just how they do it. And that was the insurance that I had through my husband's work. There wasn't really a lot of wiggle room for me in that. And... At the time, I didn't realize what it, how different that was than the way I was looking at pregnancy. I'm looking at it as like two things that are joined together as like the training and, and the swim meet. And they really were looking at it as two separate situations. So in your analogy, if you had the same coach all throughout the training and then at the actual competition, a totally different coach would show up. Yeah, I, I, that would be weird. Yeah. I, well, yeah. At least it would have been weird for most of my career until I was, you know, a seasoned veteran. And like how many of us, I mean, I am I was on my first kid, right. <laughs> not seventh. Yeah. Right. And there's no connection. He doesn't know your birth plan or she doesn't know your right. birth plan. Right. Right. And also the medicalization of the prenatal process really put me in this position of feeling like I was somehow training it wrong. That I was like every time I gained weight in, in a way that wasn't exactly the way they wanted or hmm. we needed to do some tests. And the, there was a lot of, like, warnings about, oh, you, this test was going to show us whether or not you've done it really wrong. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, and so I, I felt as we went through the process, I just kept feeling like I was doing pregnancy wrong. Mm. And, and the, at every turn, I kept having more and more stress. And it was subtle just enough and perfect just enough for my psychology that I didn't recognize it. 
mm-hmm. until really late. How late? Um, well, I had a breech baby. Okay. When did you find out you I had a baby? I found that out right before the third trimester. Um, oh, so that's, so pre- that's pretty early compared really to what early. most people find out. Right. So um, probably not that helpful to have let me know that early mm-hmm. because it sent me into this crazy stress spiral of doing all the things to train harder, faster, stronger, get that baby to turn, right? <laughs> and so here I am doing moxa and acupuncture and chiropractics and mind massage and standing on my Handstands. head. And, oh, my gosh, <laughs> like putting ice on the belly, playing music down below. Flashlight? Like, fla- I did the flashlight. I mean, there's you probably... You put a flashlight down low so the baby sees the light. No they, way. They get attracted to the light. Like yeah. It's a real well, it's thing. A, it's a I thing. did it. People do it. Didn't work. <laughs> I've had a few people fall asleep with the flashlight on the belly, the old kind, before you get the uh, LED. Oh no! And they they wake up burn. Yeah, with a little burn mark down there. Oh, well, that says the opposite. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I mean, I think I did. Gosh, everything. Hypnosis. I did everything in the book to try to get this baby to turn. Um, and so I was stressed for the entire third trimester, oh. like just emotionally wrecked because, mm. as a definition of self, I had wanted a natural birth. And a C-section wasn't really in the plan. Can you just define your vision of natural sure. birth? Sure. My kind of- vision of natural birth is letting my body do its thing and not bugging it with anything. Don't give me any interventions. Just let me work it out. Is that your um, life in general? Yes. <laughs> it kind of seems <laughs> like it. It sounds like your personality. Like, I'll it just is, do it. I'll just do it. Just leave me alone. Right. Just give me time. Give me some space. Yeah. I'll figure it out. We'll get it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really who I am. And so... That was what I wanted, and this whole threat of a C-section looming kind of ruined the last trimester of pregnancy, not just for me, but also for my husband. Yeah, He was so worried about me, and I was so stressed out. And I think together we just – we didn't – we were so helpless. We felt so helpless. Yeah. And Outside of what you wanted, did he mm-hmm. have a vision for birth of his own? His vision for birth is really for me. So Mm -hmm. whatever I need it to be, it's always been what he wanted as long as it wasn't too risky in his mind. He obviously, as a guy, is a a little bit alienated by the pregnancy experience and, you know, was afraid that he would maybe lose me, that I would go do something crazy and that – and I don't mean – But your plan just was go to a hospital and have a baby. Well, but I probably also – if I'm admitting it, always wanted a home birth. Okay. Did you talk and, about that? Sure. And that was just a non-starter for, at the, him. for the first pregnancy, just yeah. totally a non-starter. Because um, of the breach positioning? No. Just, just because general? he wasn't comfortable with that. He was just, you know, it was a lot new, a lot of new stuff. He mm-hmm. was just worried that something would go wrong and he would be helpless to help me and that he would maybe lose me. I think there was a lot of fear around that yeah. for him. Um, yeah, I think it's common. I think it's common among men and women. Um, yeah. And, you know, mo- 98% of women have babies at the hospital. So it's... it's 98? F- yeah. Wow. So it's a it's a foreign, roughly, 2% yeah. have out-of-hospital birth. I think it's growing now, but it's it's still, it's a, a gross minority, right? Mm-hmm. A vast majority of people have their baby at the hospital today in the United yeah. States. So it's it's something that you would think is really on the fringe, yeah. Well, and, and I think he felt that way. And so, so you know, but he was on board. He was super supportive, on board with the birth plan, on board with trying to get that baby turned. I mean, he would come home from work and he would go straight into moxa burning on my toes. Like, oh. <laughs> poor guy. You know, he really was doing his absolutely best in this very strange situation we found ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, we, 
at the time knew of only three doctors in the L.A. area that would birth a baby breech vaginally. One of them you couldn't book yourself into because he was in that program where only if he's on call can you have him. Um, The other was home birth only, which obviously was... That was out of the question. Out of the head question. Down, baby, that, so. was all the he- that was out of the que- <laughs> that question. That wasn't going to make it more comfortable. Yeah, that wasn't going to help. Um, and then there was another doctor, and we we consulted with him. Mm-hmm. And I was willing to basically come out of insurance world and pay for everything out of pocket if wow. this was a good fit for us. And you know, sometimes you meet your tribe, and sometimes you meet someone that's just not in your tribe. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't, we just couldn't get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of went back to square one. 37 weeks rolls around and C-section keeps being lobbed at me and I push them off. I'm like, the baby's measuring small on the ultrasound. Leave me alone. I'm not doing it. Did you try the manual version? We didn't because she was so small at 37 Mm -hmm. weeks. And I was really concerned that she would go into distress and then we would have this baby have to be in the NICU for weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, I was born at 37 weeks and I was very, very small. I was five pounds like no ounces. You look fine. I, I, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just fine. But you know, thirty-seven is term, but it's early. Right. Term. Well, and she was, she was a little bit smaller than I was mm-hmm. as she was gestating, at least the way they measured her. And I just felt like I'd rather it all go naturally, and I wanted it to feel safe, and it didn't feel safe right then, so I waited. At forty weeks, seemed like I didn't have a lot of options, so I agreed with my original OB to schedule a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um. Right after that appointment, which I just felt like I was giving up a little bit, um, I had been talking to my doula before this appointment, and she had suggested I look into family-centered C-sections. So I had been doing a lot of research on that, and I'd come up with this great birth plan that if I have to have a C-section, this is how I want it. And What kind of is, things did you want? I didn't want my hands to be strapped down. Right. I wanted the baby to be able to be skin-to-skin immediately. Um you know, just more of like gentle, C-section. gentle C-section. Yeah. Just you know. Did you want to see? I couldn't decide on that one. Um, I don't know if they are. Some places still some don't places offer. Some places still it, don't but. offer that. And I honestly, there was I'd never had any kind of surgery, so that part was still a little bit scary for mm-hmm, me. Sure. But the birth, the skin to skin, and my ability to bond, and I had some big questions about the drugs used because mm-hmm. I'm really sensitive to drugs, and so. I she sent me after we scheduled right down to have a consultation with an anesthesiologist, and he was also not in my tribe. Oh really? <laughs> um, he was really arrogant and oh. met my questions with actually an outright lie. Hmm. Um, when I called him as politely as I could on that lie, he told me that my other option was to just have the hypnosis instead of anesthesiology oh, wow. for my C-section. What? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, so I left there pretty upset, and then I got in the car and started driving home trying to figure out, like, okay, what do I do now? That was awful. I won't trust that guy with my life. Um, and the nurse called me to go over my family-centered C-section choices for my birth plan and informed me that none of them were allowed and she even used the word illegal. <laughs> like, what? I don't, what? Even, like, I don't even know. Under what law? <laughs> I know. I, I was like, I, I don't think I was very nice in my response oh, um, at that point. Have... No, I was not graceful. So I decided at that moment at 40 weeks that my entire hospital was, and my OBGYN who I'd been seeing for 40 weeks, they were all fired. 
Oh, wow. I'm 40 weeks with a breech baby. Yeah, breech baby, 40 weeks. And that's the only place your insurance works. Right. So there are multiple hospitals within my insurance, but it's all one program. Oh, so you stayed within your insurance and went to a different hospital. Mm -hmm. So fired the hospital, fired the OB. Um, I had been doing acupuncture with a midwife who also worked at a hospital within this program. Fired the anesthesiologist. Yes, I did. Especially (laughs) him. (laughs) Right? Um, I went basically into her office at 40 weeks and two days and had a meltdown. Mm -hmm. And we came up with a plan that we would, now the baby was measuring like, you know, six pounds. We could go ahead and try the version. At 40 weeks. At 41. Oh, at 41, 41 on wow. the day, we would try the version. I had lots of amniotic fluid, small little baby, should be fine. Mm-hmm. Statistically, it wasn't putting me – I still had really good chances. Mm-hmm. So we would do that, and if it worked, we would induce right away. Okay. Um, so I went in and had all these hopes <laughs> of getting to avoid a C-section. <laughs> Please let me avoid it. And um, – I remember the doctor giving me the drugs to kind of numb your uterus before they do the manual version, and his hands were shaking, and it made me nervous. And then I decided I'm just going to be strong through this. It's fine. Relax. Strong relaxation. Big, deep breaths. And every time he went to turn her, her heart rate plummeted to a place where they were all very uncomfortable. Mm. And... I was sitting there just so at a loss and frustrated with this, and I felt like my baby picked up the phone and called me through my blood vessels (laughs) and said in my ear, Mom, I'm all tangled up. I Mm. cannot turn. I would turn if I could. I just can't. And it was the first big parenting decision I had to make. Like, this is not what I want. I do not want a C-section, but this little child is telling me that she can't turn. It means waiting another week isn't going to make any difference. And if I trust that, then I might have to do something I really don't want to do. And it was a really hard decision, but we checked with the midwife that was working with us. And she said, well, you know, of all of the people at this hospital to be here on staff today to do a C-section, we have, like, my favorites. Hmm. And so I said, well, I'll meet with them. (laughs) <laughs> See if they're in the tribe. <laughs> right? Find out. At this point, yeah. I've met with enough. Tribe Marissa. Uh, yeah. So the anesthesiologist was wonderful. Aww. He answered the questions intelligently. He answered them scientifically and with with reason. Um, he agreed to take out the, the one drug I was really concerned about that makes me feel like death. Which is? Um, it's a, it's Zofran. It's a mm, anti-nausea. anti-nausea yeah. yeah. It makes me have a, um, apocalyptic migraines. Wow. So it was, I just really was like, I don't want to have a baby and also then have this terrible migraine. Like, can mm-hmm. we keep that one out? And he agreed to not have my hands strapped down. The OB agreed to all the family-centered things I was asking for. It seemed like I was going to get everything I wanted. Um, but that didn't really make it non-traumatic. Yeah. Um, if your whole self is defined by this one thing and then you have to go against it, there's a certain dissociation that happened as I walked my body into that room. And it definitely felt violating to do this to my body when I wasn't really wanting that um, and having to give up so much control of my body when it's my body. I've been driving it hard my whole life, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but it was fast and it was painless for the most part. And the baby was on my chest, you know, f- seven minutes later. Wow. 
So that was that was really great. Yeah. But the nurse, while the OB and the anesthesiologist were on on board for the family centered things I was asking for, the nurses were uncomfortable with it. Mm, wow. And they call the shots. Evidently, they call the shots. No um, kidding. So my nurse. Which parts were they not okay with? My nurse was uncomfortable with waiting around with the skin to skin while they were stitching me up. She was shifty. She was anxious. She didn't really like standing there. You could tell. And then she said that I was almost done being stitched up, and she suggested that my husband and the baby go to the re- to the recovery room and wait for me, get ready for me. And so I said, okay, because I was thinking five minutes, and 45 minutes later, I'm actually done. Wow. So I spent 45 minutes with no baby, no husband. Oh, no. no support. No support. No. And, you know, I could hear them talking about the stitching they were doing and shoving my body around. And, and you know, it is... A teaching hospital, so there were multiple young people there listening and learning, which was fine with me, but also a little bit invasive, invasive feeling at times. Um, so then I finally got the baby, got to the ready room, got the baby, decided I wasn't going to let the baby go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was it. She was staying on me like I was super loopy. I was like a balloon on a string with the drugs. Like I didn't feel like myself. Um, Just out of curiosity, yeah. did you have a lot of nausea because there was no, no. anti-nausea drug? No. Interesting. So you didn't even need the Zofran. Mm-mm. Didn't need it. I think there are a couple different anti-nauseas they put in that cocktail. So no, it was just one that wasn't in there, else. I think. But I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and you know, I decided pretty quickly that I wanted to get out of there as fast as I could. And the first nurse was really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Once they got me to the, um, not recovery room, but the next year, kind of your room, um, she was wonderful. She helped me kind of, she was like, well, if you want to get out of here, let's just treat you like you delivered vaginally. What? So you only stayed for a day? I stayed for f- barely 48 hours. Wow. Yeah. She helped me. I got out of bed at the same pace as a vaginal birth. I did everything I could to be out of there as fast as I could. But then when she went off, uh-huh. I ended up getting a series of not very wonderful nurses. Mm. Um, one I actually had to send out of the room, um, and she punished me later by showing up an hour late to give me my pain meds. Oh, my goodness. Um, so it was really not a fun experience in the hospital for me. But you left 48 hours? I did. I left 48 hours after you surgery. You hauled your Ferrari out of I there. hauled my yeah, Ferrari and my baby, <laughs> whom I did not put down unless she was in the care of my husband. Like, that baby did not come off of me. Until your, your Mini Cooper. She, my little Mini Cooper. That's right. <laughs> Whoa. Um, I have more questions about this pregnancy and birth, but we're going to take a little break yeah. and come back and um, address those questions and then also find out this upcoming birth that you're planning for. So. Oh, I should mention. Yeah. She had the cord around her neck three That's times. That's one of my three questions. Three times. Oh, yeah. He's sorry. Oh. She did. She did. It was real. <laughs> well, come back anyway sorry. after this yes, commercial break. There's sorry. more where that came from. Yes. Uh, you're listening Preview. to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, 
It has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, here with co-host Angelica Ortiz, and we're talking to Marissa before her imminent birth about options for delivery with baby number two. Right before the break, you you read my mind. I wanted to know if you learned things about the pregnancy, about why the baby might have been breached after mm-hmm. your cesarean birth, and you said the cord was wrapped on the neck three times. And my placenta was really high, and she, I think her head was just pretty much tied right down to it. Um, I remember during the C-section, the OB actually came up to the top of my uterus um, and had to use her elbow <gasps> to push the baby out. <laughs> during the cesarean? During the C-section. Wow. Yeah. She was she was wedged right up in there, tied up pretty tight. How big was she at birth? Seven pounds, two ounces. Oh, so healthy. Healthy. Nice size. 41 weeks. Not a very big baby. Yeah. Just, you know, sh- the ultrasound measurements had been pretty accurate, I think, up until that point. I know that they aren't always. And you bolted out of the hospital two days where most people stay four days after mm-hmm. cesarean birth. Yeah, I was not staying. What was your recovery like at home? Physically, it was, I mean, I went for my one week and then two week and however many checkups you do. And everybody, all the doctors I did, saw, because I had left my doctor at the other hospital, I would just saw whoever they had because I was kind of done with it. Um, they all were said I was recovering at, on pace with, like my vaginal cohorts, but I wasn't didn't feel that way. It felt really terrible. I wasn't able to sit up for a very long time. I didn't feel like I could be left alone with my baby for two weeks because I wasn't physically able to even take care of myself. Sometimes I got stuck on my back in bed and I couldn't get up. Um, and I I felt then like I was not able to be the protector I should be as a mom. Um, and that really got in my head. And was it difficult to feed your baby? You know, I was really lucky that because I did all that skin to skin and during all that skin to skin in that 48 hours, I didn't put her down and she pretty much nursed every inch of colostrum out of me (laughs) until I was super raw. The day that I got home from the hospital, so we're talking, you know, day two, um, end of day two, my milk came in and I had overproduction. I didn't have a lot of breastfeeding problems. In fact, we... I think as a way to bond outside of the medicine that made me feel so disconnected, um, that breastfeeding was the the way we bonded. Mm -hmm. Um, I breastfed for two years because I don't think we really wanted, like either of us wanted to let go of that bond because it was the big, strong, only bond we really had in the beginning. Well, you guys had the strong connection in utero too. I mean, you like felt Mm -hmm. the feeling that she, you know, couldn't be turned and she told you, Mom, you yeah. can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so breastfeeding wasn't so bad, but I did have a lot of PTSD and postpartum stuff to wade through over the birth process. Um, that really, How'd you sort through that? Uh, I Are you still sorting through that? Have, I am still sorting through that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I think I've done a lot of work on it. I do this form of therapy that merges chiropractics with 
um, it's called neuroemotional technique. Yeah. And it, it kind of merges kinesiology with emotional perspective and nutrition and and chiropractics and kind of looks at the whole body. I've been seeing this guy up in Oregon since I was four years old. Wow. Um, he's probably one of the big reasons why I was such a good athlete because I was able to get over my head space. I'm not the biggest swimmer out there. Most swimmers are six foot and I'm not. I'm five, six. Mm-hmm. I don't have really big hands. I don't have really big feet, but I had a head and a drive that couldn't be reckoned with. Yeah. Um, so, so that I've, you know, Whenever I would go to Oregon, I'd make sure I'd take a run over to see him and, you know, start putting the pieces back together little by little. I joined some support groups online so I could read other people's stories and uh, post cesarean support groups. Or? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Post cesarean and VBAC support groups because right away I knew I my was not going to just have one and that I wanted the next one to be different. Well, here we are. Yeah. Thirty five weeks pregnant with the next one. Yeah. And so you knew from the beginning you wanted to try for a VBAC. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was one of the big conversations we had was like, make sure you double stitch me because I know that people like that. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna. Be before doing you had your cesarean. Before I had my cesarean. Wow, you're a planner that. too. Yes. <laughs> um, no. Did you and your husband talk about VBAC? Uh, I mean, we did briefly right before we had the C-section, and, and it was just always assumed after that. Okay, because, yeah. I mean, yeah. some people are nervous about them. He, and I he's, know he was nervous about home birth and about breech birth, yeah. but he's he's okay with VBAC. Yeah, he also was a swimmer. And so we share this really nice space where we understand our bodies, and he can give me the validation that, like, if I understand my body because I was a swimmer, then you understand yours. Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Lamborghini <laughs> and the Ferrari, you yeah. know? <laughs> <clears throat> I like it. Yeah. Um, so now... When did you, I mean, did you plan this pregnancy for this time? I did. It fits really well with wedding season. Oh, oh. That's, <laughs> that's smart. Yeah, that's you know, the, the fall months, there's not a lot of weddings. Um, it's easy to take time off November, December, January, February. No peonies. Yeah, See? no peonies. Not very many flowers really at all. Yeah. <laughs> Some in Southern California, but not very many, you know. So um, at, at what point do you – I mean, not every provider does – attends VBAC or supports VBAC. Mm-hmm. How did your research go for this? Well, um, within the year of my first child's birth, we changed insurance. Okay. So more <laughs> choices for you. <laughs> yeah, more yeah. choices, more freedom for me. Um, and I was pretty aware at that point that I was going to be interested in the midwife perspective of care. Um And so I had been recommended by a friend that I should look into this group of midwives that works at a hospital so that I could appease, you know, my husband's fears and also still be at a hospital, still be at a hospital, but but then be in the midwife model. So it was always, that was always kind of the no brainer. Like that's what I was going to do. That was the plan. It was only just when we would get pregnant next. So we finally were ready and got pregnant and I went and checked them out. And we were in that program. Um, most things going okay, but that program also is five midwives. And you meet all five during the prenatal process, and whoever's on call is who you get. Well, that's a lot better than what I had come from. Mm-hmm. But you still have five different doctors or, yeah. you know, providers, providers yeah. that are 
that are working with you. And, and they all have to be in your tribe. They all have to be <laughs> in your tribe. Are, were they all in your tribe? They were not. Uh-huh. They were not. So, gosh, I think I, I started seeing Dr. B early because I also wanted to make sure that all my mechanics were working so <laughs> that if, in fact, it was a mechanical issue that made breach the last time that we were beyond that this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, gosh, I think it was about 24 weeks or so, about halfway, um, I met the third in the group, third midwife in the group, and I had a couple questions. And it really didn't, it was a really bad meeting. And I'm so mm. glad that my husband was there with me that one, because he doesn't go to all the prenatals, but he goes to a good handful of them. Um, in fact, no, it was 20 weeks, because we found out the gender that day, too. Mm. Um, Which is? A boy. Ah! It's a boy. Yay. Wow. <laughs> First in my family in over a generation. Really? Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. You better double check. We've triple checked. <laughs> We've triple checked because I was in denial. I was like, no, we don't have boys in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so things are already looking different. Things are already looking different. Yep. This meeting wasn't very good with the midwife. Um, I, she might have been just having a bad day. People have bad days. but she, Or she had a bad birth or something. She was She was cycling on some pretty big fear. And so her answers to my questions were fear-based instead of fact-based. Big difference. That's a pretty big difference, especially for someone like me who at this point, I have my own PTSD things I'm trying to deal with. And I'm acutely aware that, you know, if I flip into fight or flight during labor and delivery, like I'm really hurting my chances of succeeding. Sure. I mean, just like anybody else. Though. Basic, yeah, basic science, right? Like what what mammal is going to be running for their life from a lion and continue to push a baby out, mm-hmm. right? That's just not how... Even a cat, if you, you, turn, on the, if you turn on the lights, they <laughs> like stop laboring, will walk around with a kitten hanging half out he, of them right? like, and go into a dark place to finish laboring. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's just basic evolution, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I've, I've really been trying to manage all things PTSD and fear this pregnancy. And so the fact that she kind of cycled down these answers about all about fear and like, I mean, the graphic details that she was describing. Oh, was, boy. It was not good. It was not good. Um, and I turned to my husband after that meeting. I was like, okay, I know I have a little PTSD. <laughs> was that bad? Like really bad? Mm-hmm. A little bad? He was like, no, that was really bad. That oh, was yeah. really bad. I'm guessing you switched out of that group. So I did. I, you know, I did. I, I looked at that and I was like, okay. I do not want to wait till 40 weeks mm-hmm. <laughs> to change my team um, at the first sign of this not being a good fit. Like, I want to start exploring other options. And, you know, we talked a long time about it. And I recognize I might have just been also really reactive. So I gave them one more shot. I went and I met another one of the midwives on the team, talked to her about it. And she was able to answer my questions appropriately. She apologized for her colleagues responses. Yeah, I, I work with that um, group. I think they're, yeah. they're... They're super awesome. I think she was... They're great. And, and the, but at the end of the day, it has to be a good match for you. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're in other people's tribe. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and then the issue of weight started coming up again. Like, I'm, I just don't gain weight at the right times, I guess. And, and so that kind of poked me. I was just like, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> leave me alone about my weight. Like, I'm good. And um, so we... I got some great recommendations from you mm-hmm. and kind of went down the list and ended up finding a midwife who is absolutely perfect for us. Oh. She um but not at a hospital. Well, at first we met her with the idea that she would maybe 
operate as our doula. Well, monotrice. A monotrice, right, right. So if so, you don't know what a monotrice is at home, it's just when your doula sort of is a midwife who's acting as an in-between. And the those magical powers that they have is they can monitor the laboring mom and her vitals and her health and even her cervix. And they can also monitor the baby in ways that doulas can't. You know, they can listen for the heart rate and things like that. Mm-hmm. So under that plan, you would labor at home mm-hmm. for a while, but then ultimately go to the hospital right. to push the baby out. And that was when we were still in the midwife practice mm-hmm. um, that we were considering her. But when we finally sat down with her, this had just happened at the midwife practice, and she was such a calming energy for us. She made my husband feel so confident that we even were able to have a conversation about home birth. Wow. Wow. And um, it just was, she was just such the perfect balance of calm, fact-based medicine and kind of what I would call the the goddess side, which is, you know, allowing, being respectful of bodies and allowing the magic to happen that's, that's supposed to happen during birth. A really good description of her. Yeah. So she just, <laughs> she was perfect. Tribe um, leader. She was, <laughs> yeah, she was. So, so we left that meeting and it, it was such a relief. Um, we decided that no matter how this ended up, we were still kind of waiting through all the options, but that she was going to be a part of it. Um, we talked more and more about home birth as the days went on, and my husband just kept getting more and more comfortable with it, um, realizing like that this medical system just maybe doesn't work very well for me, mm-hmm. and that he wanted what was best for me too. You know, not just the baby, but also me. And so, like, really getting our heads around what that meant. Um, so we decided on a home birth, but there was still some concerns about like, okay, well, home birth is actually very safe. Um, VBAC is actually very safe. Very few percentages have problems, but also very few percentages make it to 40 weeks with a breech baby. Mm -hmm. So instead of being blind to or shocked by any of those outcomes, we wanted to have like a plan B. And so one of the ways that we got him completely okay with and at peace with a home birth is by having concurrent care with an OB who would then be our backup should we need to transfer into a hospital. So labor at home with this we'll, midwife. We will intend on a home birth. And deliver with, at home with And this deliver midwife. at home with this midwife. But if you need to transport if for some reason, in, you know exactly who you're going into. We know who we're going to. And that doctor backs up kind of home birth. Mm-hmm. Is um, your home close to your... That's the big problem. You don't live near the hospital. I don't live near the hospital. Where Um, that doctor practices. Where that doctor practices. And we met him, and my husband loved him, and I liked him pretty much okay. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, know, as much as I think someone who's been shell-shocked by OBs could like any OB. Yeah, it's a big compliment coming from you. Yeah, really. (laughs) So... So we decided that we would home birth, but we would not be home birthing at our home. We will be home birthing at the hotel across the street. From? From the hotel. From the, wait. No, sorry, from the hospital. Sorry, a hotel across the street from the hospital where the OB is. Is where you're going to labor and give birth? And give birth. 
that's unique. That's yeah. so unique. I mean, yeah. what are you expecting? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Well, um, Hotel home birth. Okay. First wow. of all, I know your midwife, and she's like a VBAC fanatic. Yes. That's how I describe her. She loves to tend to women in VBAC. Yeah. Um, number two, I know the hotel, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we labor there. We labor there fairly often. Mm-hmm. I think they're used to it. They see us coming and like, oh yeah, they're laboring here, and then they're going to go across the street and push. Um, and it's gorgeous inside. Have you gone inside to look around? I haven't yet. Okay, I've seen you got to do the online. hotel tour. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's weird, right? <laughs> what am I going to do? Say, I just need to check out, like, you know, your facilities. Well, actually, you can, you can sort of do it as a. Um, How about your tub? I'll tell you a couple of things. <laughs> I need to measure which, the between the now and then. <laughs> if we have somebody laboring there, we mm-hmm. can always sneak in after they cross over to the hospital. Hey, that's a good Ooh. point. That's a thought. I have to look at who we have coming up birthwise. But hey. also, I think you could sort of be like, I am, I'm, uh, I'm, my, I'm a personal assistant, and I'm coming <laughs> to check out the house, the hotel for my uh, boss. Maybe I'll send my sister. I think if they see a pregnant woman doing that, they might know. Well, they might come back But once your sister's up there, she can uh, My in. sister will be yeah. here on the 14th. She I think you guys should do, a, <laughs> you should do yeah. a baby moon there. Baby moon there, right. Yeah, one night baby moon. Yeah, hey. That's, well, that's how we'll feel about it, I think. I mean, I want to. I think I probably want to get home right away too. Well, trust me, they have beautiful big tubs in their suites, and they have nice showers, and they have a nice bed. Yeah. And um, it's it's a really nice environment, and there's really great stuff around it in terms of walking around if you need to walk around and or want to. Um, yeah, cool. But I don't know of anyone who's actually given birth there. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different. Um, but I mean, what are they going to do? Room cervix? Check me. Say it's, time. <laughs> Say it's time to go. That's I do. I always tell them you guys should uh, offer this as a real service. <laughs> I didn't think about birth. I just thought about labor. Right. And uh, I told them yeah. to call it womb service. Yeah, right. there you go. Womb service. That's Thanks a nice one. Thanks for calling like Womb service. We can have like, housekeeping come and clean everything sure. up. Sure. That's mm-hmm. amazing. That's, That's actually a... really brilliant. I love the idea. Well, we've been really thoughtful as we as we plan to. Like, we want to be respectful of the space, and we don't want to leave it like a an unbelievable mess. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're kind of putting plans into place to make sure that everything's ready to go and not going to be totally destroyed. Sure. When we labor there, we leave it very clean. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they don't know. It doesn't. You don't walk in and feel like, hmm, somebody gave birth here. Or, right. I mean, I think that's our intent. Right. Um, My house sort of looked like a crime scene after our home birth, but that's just because when my wife got out of the tub with all the gooey water, like nobody thought to put something underneath her. And so the grout <laughs> sort of took on the redness. Um, and then I had to go out to the drugstore and get hydrogen peroxide and toothbrush Mm -hmm. to scrub it all up before the kids woke up. But uh, we left it looking, you know. Yeah. So I have, I have the hydrogen peroxide and everything is going to end up in this nice little rolling suitcase. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it looks like I'm just a traveler. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Just checking in. Just just passing through. And, And you're literally two minutes from your hospital. Yeah, so, right. He's just across the street. Does the doctor know you're planning to give birth at the hotel? He does. What oh, does wow. he think of it? He's he got does. a good sense of humor. So. He does have a good sense of humor. He thinks it's <laughs> – he's actually in, in a lot of support of it. Yeah. Um. You know, he and I talked about, like, well, I could stay at home and then – but it, depending on traffic, it could be 40 minutes. It could be an hour and a half. Yeah. And we talked that through and he really felt strongly that, like – Given the the PTSD possibilities, which I'm doing very well, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. not I am not um, 
spinning out or anything very much these days. I've done a lot of work on getting centered. But, you know, we have to be rec- be sensitive to our triggers. and yeah. Sure. And so on the off chance, like he just said, let's just make sure that we're taking those factors out of the equation. I think being across the street's the, the oh, best idea ever. I think aside from the weirdness of actually giving birth in a hotel, but look, it used to be weird to labor at a hotel, and now we do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Aside from the weirdness of giving birth at a hotel, it's brilliant. I yeah, mean, I mean. It really is well-suited for what you want to do, and it's so close to No the, room at uh, the end. Hopefully there's room at the end this time. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, even even when you register, you you have to say how many people are staying over. It's uh, like two on the way in and three on the way yep. out. Yep. <laughs> be interesting. That'll be interesting. I mean, if they give you, if they find out, if they give you a free uh, free hotel for. Oh life. my gosh, they totally should. Yeah. I bet they will, and just pretend I, it was spontaneous. No, they won't, because then lots of people are going to come give birth. That's true. Yeah, I don't think I don't. I think we're going to kind of just you know put the baby under our arm and like. You know, shuffle out. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting. I, yeah, I, we'll see how it goes. Are you going to take pictures? I'm not really an in front of the camera person, mm-hmm. so um, is that generally no? speaking. <laughs> so, no, there probably won't be any pictures. My husband will have photo rights, so he'll get to take pictures with his phone, and mm-hmm. he did a really good job with our first. Oh, great. Um, but but other than that, I think we. I just want to have a really small group of people in there. It's just... Who are the people? It's just my midwife, her backup or assistant, mm-hmm. um, my husband and myself. We decided not and eventually to. eventually the baby. And eventually the baby. We decided we probably wouldn't be doing a doula this time, though we were going to do a doula if we were in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like we've really been exploring that aspect of it too. And my husband and I really want this to be just about us. Very intimate. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Sounds really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's just... I don't know. He's so much more calm this time and strong. And like he really has kind of gotten over any of his fears, too, in a way that's been really beautiful um, and has lent a lot of strength to me. In, that's so nice. In Likewise, you seem calm and strong also. Yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> so. And your baby's head down. He's head Yay! down. This, so this little news. boy knew I was going to be nervous about that, and I think he's been he he's for listening. me has been head down <laughs> since like twenty weeks. He yeah. hasn't really changed. Good. So, and so that's been working good hard on your hips and pelvis, getting them loose and open. Yep, do that. And um, what else have I been? Every I did a lot of stuff. What Are you a, a bath person? I know you're a water person because yeah. uh, competitive swim. Yeah, I don't know. In general, are you a bath person? I, in general, I am. They calm you down? Yeah. yeah but so. I don't know. I've never been in labor, you guys. No, like, no, no. I, I've never actually You have helped. the option. I don't know. You yeah. have the option. But I, I just mean, in gen- what comfort measures are you going to have available sure. to you? One of them is a bath. One of them is a bath. Um, I, I used to have this sort of ritual pre-race where I would just be really quiet and kind of do my own little meditation and there's a certain series of stretches that I do right before I get up on the blocks and take my marks and mm-hmm. I think I, I think I'll probably do that yeah um, don't dive into the tub. I won't it's big, dive but it's, yeah. I won't dive <laughs> but but you know I think I think there's a certain kind of um, body recognition of like okay we're we're gonna all show up and get keyed in like every muscle every cell needs to be ready to go on this that I'll probably do those stretches at some point and go through that routine at some point um but yeah, I, I think I think I'll be. I don't know. Can I, you picture yourself giving birth in water? I can picture it, but most often than not, that's not what comes naturally in, in your mind. In my mind, you're on land. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Who knows? But I don't know. Well, the great thing is only time will tell. You, right? <laughs> Not time that much tell. time. And you, you know, you've agreed to come back and tell us how it all went down. Absolutely. With one or two snaps from your husband's phone. So yep. hopefully he gets the stretches. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> I, agree. I think the whole thing would be cool to document. Not, I'm mm-hmm. not the birth itself per se, but mm-hmm. um, just the whole thing. Like we're the going process. to the hotel now. Checking like, in. Checking, checking in. in. Like Party this would be a very interesting series of pictures in my book or yeah. video yeah. clips. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, first of all, for teaching us about ecofloorism. Yes, yes, absolutely. I I'm never smelling natural that. Than normal flowers again. Um, you're you have such a great, strong energy and and determination. Like you know what you want, and you just go for it. And it makes me feel so bad about myself. So, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, it's an interesting birth plan that I've never seen or heard of before. The closest I can remember is uh, a patient who rented an Airbnb for for a couple of weeks and yeah. gave birth in there. That's smart too. Yeah, just it's, the timing's hard. Yeah, yeah, the timing's You've hard. Gotta when really do you book spend it? a lot on Airbnb <laughs> to make sure you're going to be there at the right yeah. time. Yeah, um, and I really look forward to hearing uh, your story when it comes back. I'm Me excited too. for you. Me too. Uh, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you enjoy our program, like us and leave a comment on iTunes. For some reason, that makes a big difference, the queen of social media told me. And uh, take a second to share us with your friends. Visit us online for access to our blog, documentaries, and our series on YouTube, The Real Midwives of Los Angeles, and other pregnancy and parenting resources at informedpregnancy.com.